This is an ABC podcast. Hi, it's Natasha Mitchell. What does the inner mind of a scientist feel like to occupy? From chaos to calm, clarity, creativity, uncertainty to certainty and then back again. Can we climb inside a scientist's thought processes? It is an audiophonic adventure on science friction today, starting with a collaboration by poet and broadcaster Alicia Sometimes, sound artist Nat Bates and science communication scholar Dr Jen Martin. You'll hear from four scientists, but not in the way you might imagine. The voices of Alicia, astrophysicist Dr Katie Mack, physicist David Wakeham, chemist Chelsea Bassett and microbiologist Helen Mitchell. Here, listen. Science is imperative to understanding who we are, where we're from, where we're going. What does a scientist think about? I remind myself to not have preconceived assumptions. Yeah, I think it's very easy to collect a small amount of data and fit your understanding into a box and then try and make everything fit to that model in your head. And that's just such a self, you know, defeating way of going about it. Every new thing you see could give you a totally new insight into something you haven't thought about before. So it's interesting, is it a clean notebook or a used notebook? It's both, because it's got to be clean in the sense that you don't bring your preconceived decisions and assumptions, but you've got to bring all of your past knowledge and understanding with you to to be constantly reimagining how the world works. Sometimes it's important to put your notebook away. Chaos was the law of nature. Order was the dream of man. Henry Adams. My main job is doing new research projects, and but I'm also doing some teaching. I go to conferences, I present my work, I'm involved in projects, to do new experiments, pose new um, observations, things like that. So my day is very scattered in a lot of different ways, but when I am doing research, I go through uh, equations and figure out how to calculate um, something interesting about dark matter. So it's, it's really a lot of talking to people, a lot of sharing ideas, and then a lot of uh, writing code and doing calculations. Everybody wants to find the theory of everything, right? But you have to, you have to study a small part of the theory of everything. You have to be able to test some question. Ask some question, that question has to have an answer and you have to show that you can find that answer. 
Um, so it's really a matter of thinking about trying to balance those things. The high impact of if we find the solution versus is this actually something we can realistically test. Um, what I do is I talk to the theorists and I try and figure out what the interesting questions are in, in theory and what the new models say. And then I talk to the experimentalists and the observers and I figure out what can be tested at the moment with the technology we have, what the new technology coming up will be. And I try and find interesting ways to connect the theory to the experiment and observation. And so it's a very creative space to be in. Science thrives in the world of the precise. Okay, so let's do this. Um, I've got SFR. So this is my uh, gravity sector, except that now I have uh, the Ricci scalar multiplied by some function of my scalar, which you know, could be the Higgs, whatever. And then I'm integrating that over all of space. And I also have to multiply by some normalization factor, square root of negative g, which is just accounting for... What is that accounting for? Okay, so just the way that the coordinates vary from point to point, so they could change in length. Okay, good. I need more coffee. In, in physics, a theory is uh, a story told using maths. A story about how the world might be or about how something might work. work, work and so that's work, how I think about you know, the models that I'm working with. They're stories told using equations about how the universe might behave. Maybe, maybe the story claims that something will happen you know, if I do X, then Y will occur. Um, and so the, the aim of the experiment is to say, okay, well, let's do X and see if Y occurs. So it's, it's putting, putting those stories to the test and seeing if they kind of hold water. A, a really nice thing about physics is that you, know, you can check whether things make sense. You know, what, what do my equations predict? Okay, and I have physical expectations about what will happen, and I can check those against the equations. So uh, a lot of time is spent just doing those checks. Um, you know, sometimes when you're doing maths, it's sort of in the dark, like you don't really know what's happening. It can be hard to check, but in physics, there, there's a really nice battery of, of checks that you can use to, to see if the maths makes sense. It takes a lot of effort for an obsessive mind to accept the fact that everything is in order except itself. Mosadali. Colored in the lines. Did you colour in the lines? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm a scientist, mate. <laughs> I'm a scientist. I absolutely coloured in the lines, mm. perfectly. Not only did I not care about colouring the lines, I almost felt a fear of colouring in the lines because I, I didn't want to fit in. That was something that drove me. Isn't that fascinating, though, that you were scared about fitting in and colouring in the lines, whereas I was scared of going over the lines because I knew that to do, you know, to do things right, in in my view, I had to I had to learn the rules. How could 
can I be sure I'm asking all the right questions to cover all the different things that might be affecting this, you know, this environment that I'm looking at, this habitat, these animals. So for me, it's about being out in this natural world and just looking with amazement and thinking, wow, this is all going on every second, every minute of every day, whether I'm there to watch it or not, this is all going on and I'll never fully understand it and that blows my mind. Metaphor is the way we map the world. Facts soar with metaphor. Even mathematics delves into secrets. understood chemistry was just cooking. cooking. <laughs> yes, we often good chemist, good cook, we can follow a recipe. <laughs> it's a little bit more difficult when you're actually trying to come up with the recipe and working out what works, but that's basically what we do. We come up with the recipe. What makes you love chemistry? Who said I love chemistry? <laughs> I love this type of chemistry because I can definitely see how what I'm doing could help affect change in various different places and make life easier for a lot of people and I like the precise nature of analytical chemistry. Being able to measure things very exactly is really exciting and being able to do it better than anybody else is really exciting as well. <laughs> well I suppose it's not being better than anybody else, it's being better than the limits. So being able to detect these super low limits is really exciting and being able to yeah, detect them and know that that's then going to be useful for someone is really good. When you drink water or when you see a swimming pool, are you just totally thinking about the chemistry of the water? I have been known to bring sample bottles with me and <laughs> I've been on camping trips with my partner down to the Murray River and have taken water samples to later test with my devices. That's, that has happened. <laughs> when left to universal laws, tends to produce regularity out of chaos. Immanuel Kant. Take a photo. Yeah, I'm going to take a photo. Uh, this, this is. Oh no, no. <laughs> this she has a cleaned it. How representative is this of your brain? Uh, pretty representative. Brain. I can. Just, brain is in piles. <laughs> Some of these I have forgotten the piles. The brain I can generally remember the parts. Do you see the world in bacteria? Like, are you always thinking on it? tiny micro scale because you spend your days trying to break things that are already bloody small like bacteria into even smaller bits do you kind of have this sense of bacteria everywhere i don't worry about it so much 
but it's lots of little things. Things like I don't touch door handles, I'll try not to do stuff like that because that's that's where disease really comes from. It, it's other people who are sick. Certainly when we go out and look, looking at people and oh they've got their gloves on but they're touching the money and the food, that's no good! Just stuff like that you become quite paranoid about but then you sort of just try not to think about it. I think I've got bigger things to worry about. <laughs> like your desk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, like the rest of my life is just a mess, yeah. <laughs> When we try to imagine a chaos, we fail. In its very fibre, the mind is an order and refuses to build a chaos. George Isles. I'm sitting up on a beautiful big granite boulder covered in moss that's right in the middle of the forest that I worked in for many years, following around possums and trying to understand their lives, trying to understand their families and who was hanging out with who and who was making babies with who. makes me think about the way science just gives me this whole different filter. The way I look at these trees and, you know, the big old trees don't look that different and, and I still remember every one of them by number because I had to give them, a, give them a number so I could record which trees the possums were sleeping in each day and all the amazing things I used to watch going on and the way the possums used to used to call at me and I used to be able to watch them do interesting things. So yeah, this, this kind of filter that I have on in this forest, it fascinates me that anyone else could walk through this forest and, and see their version of it. And they might just think, wow, this is a nice patch of forest. But for me, it's, it's just all about knowing intimately how this, how this forest is, is connected with these possums. amazes me that all these years later I still see the world through the eyes of these animals and I like it. I like the fact that being a scientist and having researched one particular population of animals for many years gave me such an insight into their world. been in the science world for a while, I actually see the good scientists as the ones who can think outside the square and who can be really creative in their um, questions and their approaches and I mean I think doing good quality science without question is important but I think the people who really further our understanding are the people who have that creative side. Science, discovery and theory build upon art and distill universal insight. So isn't it interesting that on the one hand you learn to colour in the lines as a beginning, but then you have to learn to pretty much get rid of the lines. 
Thanks to Miyuki Yokoranta for sharing that piece by Alicia Sometimes, Nat Bates and Dr Jen Martin. It's from RN's Soundproof Archive, a total feast of sound for your ears. You heard from scientists Dr Katie Mack, David Wakeham, Chelsea Bassett and Helen Mitchell. And you can catch Miyuki hosting our beautiful doco show Earshot each week. Poet Alicia Sometimes animates the invisible poetic threads of the universe through her words. She's as passionate about science as she is about art and football too, as it happens, because she's the co-founder of The Outer Sanctum, the ABC's Aussie Rules footy podcast, all women, all footy. But why stop at footy when you can talk about the universe? We are one long conversation. We are the future and we are the past. The comma and the apostrophe floating in every library of dimension. We sit on nothing more than a tender filament, a dish on a lilo on a wave. We are semaphores in the meandering grace of the universe calling to each other across the churning expanse, unbounded. Sucklings in the growling nests of space, we are fervid elaborations of our best selves. Baroque interpretations of everything we once were and will ever be. Scatterlings. We exist as music, each note sliding into one another, an exalted purr of song, rising, falling, collapsing, not collapsing, colliding harmonics, refusing to be measured. We break up. What if you then shatter into scrappy embers sweltering the earth? and start to grow olives? What if I become a lullaby sung to young children as stars pick up guitars and play in chorus with a D-diminished seventh? What if we fold space and go back to the very moment we parted, our lips still bereft of any epitaph? We were once full of swing, luminescent constructs launching ourselves into the unknown, What if we took that walk by the river? What if we weren't heady quasars devouring all other matter? It could have been simpler. What if I wore red socks? What if you lost your shoes? What if you ate paella? What if I knew the theme to your secrets? One different neutrino and it all could be erased. We are the slits of laser light splashed on a horizontal screen, both wave and particle. We go further. We sense the membranes around us intuitively as if it was simple as a piece of string, weightless, easy. We stamp ourselves in the air like God inside thunder. We just didn't know that we are the string. We tilt. Curvatures of memory flitting about. Always two places at once. We are in the cellar as much as we are in the loft. 
We are all centaurs, made of the eloquent slapdash of stars. We awake to 11 dimensions of space-time, infinitely long but smaller than a quiver. We float on within the membrane of this universe. The membrane splits when action or no action is taken. We are an oscillating lattice of hope smudging the spacescape. Entangled decisions rippling. The past is a tsunami of probability. We are the curators of opportunity. And we split. You are there. I am here. We stretch and combine. Our futures break into endless retorts and digressions. We are mariners. In one universe, I am not born, and in another, I prowl the stars for meaning. In one universe, this room is white. In another, one of you is missing. In one universe, gravity is so strong, faces stretch out across the weak blinking out of exhaustion. In this universe, we fly and nothing can hold us back. In one universe, you hold the violin. In this, the viola de amor. Barely noticeable, but somewhere a butterfly lands uneasy on a mantle. Because of you, your daughter exists and it was the result of one moment. Hanging out in the wind as normal as sound. Obvious, but not scratched into time for certain. We are endless slices of bread, one sliver of universe placed next to another, next to another, next to another. Cylindrical sheets of space, intersecting membranes, bubbles of universes pressed against each other as if one lover caressing the back of another's shirt or another admirer so far away never risking the chance to say anything. One universe made up of this giddy stuff of electrons but no gravitrons. One universe all lightning and perspiring angst. Another, the calm note of atoms but no air. Infinite, possibilities that rehearse and rehearse. One life gently next to another. One life smashed up against the alternative, absorbing the vibrations of string, resonating and pluck. You are the cello kissing the sun. You chisel your way into being carving out your life's curriculum. We are curled up points in every dimension, or sometimes nowhere at all. Holograms on your own birthday. If we take the simple equation that we are all relative and non-relative, if we are both the clavichord and the bass, if we just sit down at the beginning, if we try to look for supersymmetry, if we just meet at the ends, if we hold on long enough to form a loop, if we let the cat out of the box, if we're both alive and dead but neither, if the moon closes
closes its eyes, do we still exist? If M stands for membrane, what happens to the other words? If the cosmological constant is zero, how do the other numbers count? We meet on a Saturday. We hold hands near the lake. We talk orthology. We take a moment to let everything in. Every subatomic particle dances and palpitates. We laugh with a flush of newness. We unfold into each other. We make up the distance of atoms by reaching in for the concept of closer. We arm wrestle doubt with pleasure. We continue along the continuum. We are seers and we are blind. We accept our duality. We know we are humbled by this space-time and we don't break up. We are one long conversation. If the moon closes its eyes, do we still exist? Bliss. Poet and broadcaster Alicia Sometimes There. And I'm Natasha Mitchell. Next week, Climate Change Goes to Court. A new science friction series. Don't miss it. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.